Welcome to this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It's always great to have you with us alongside Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, we have a variety of topics to get to. We have buzzer beaters. We have upsets. We have coaches on rants. We have teams getting stuck in elevators. We have controversy over the GOAT. Uh, we have West Durham interviewing legends. We have uh, some good news about one of our favorite little tournaments. And uh, we're going to get to most or all of it here in just the next few minutes. Chris, what's going on, man? Man, you're you're right. It's it's been a, a crazy week of hot takes, of coaching rants, the the usual usually uh, unflappable. Dennis Gates of Missouri drops the f bomb in, in a post game press conference, and he knew exactly what he was doing, and he wanted to make sure he was quoted uh, directly. And he, he was basically <laughs> oh, like, "You can print that. that. <laughs> you got to talk about that." But then, you know, Rick Pitino goes crazy, uh, dissing his team, uh, and then upsets. Uh, I think um, the NCAA and, and, and CBS just put a target on the back when they released their selection Sunday. I mean, they're three weeks before selection Sunday. They, they come out with their top 16. Right after that, Purdue gets beat by Ohio State, which had just fired its coach. UConn goes to Creighton and gets crunched. Uh, San Diego State, which is, was kind of a surprise entry into the uh, into the sixteen, was beaten at Utah State on Tuesday night. Uh, man, it, it's crazy. It, it just we talked about it last week. There's just so much parity, and uh, but then you look at Old Man River Houston, just keeps on keeping on, even though they're in the tough Big Twelve. They just keep on kicking tail. Uh, they're they're the ultimate lunch pail team, and. Uh, they're not pretty to watch, but you sure got to take your hat off to them. I thought you were going to say they keep on rolling, you know, and when you <laughs> <laughs> exactly rolling on the river. All right, let's uh, let's talk about some of the games first, and a uh, quick recap of UConn and Creighton. Number one goes down. Creighton won eighty five sixty six. They're a good team and a good program, but that was the first win against a top ranked team ever for the Blue Jays. And Greg McDermott said it was a historic win for his program. Creighton's 20 and 7, 10 and 6 in the Big East. UConn cut a 23 point deficit down to 10, but the Blue Jays got stops in five straight possessions and they got to the finish line. Huskies are still 24 and 3, 14 and 2. But as he said, they lost today after those uh, projections came out and after they were the first unanimous number one of the season in the AP rankings. Some great games in the SEC on Wednesday night as we record this. It was last night. 13th-ranked Alabama escaped in overtime against number 24 Florida in the Crimson Tide. They stay right at the top in the SEC. 98-93 was the final. Bama was down double figures in regulation. Then they took control in overtime. Grant Nelson with 22 points and 8 rebounds and 6 blocks. We know what Alabama is, but Chris, Florida's in a way been one of the surprise teams of the SEC, and uh, they're in good shape to make the tournament, and they've climbed into the rankings this past week. They've gotten a lot better. I watched that game, and uh, not only do they have excellent guard play, uh, in part because of some astute portal acquisitions, but they've got size uh, and and can contend with, you know, the be- better teams in the country have good big men. I, I know in in the age of the three pointer and and playing four out and one in, that's a rarity, but. If you're going to win the national title, you're probably going to have to have a guy that you can throw it to in the post. And, you know, Florida's got a couple of those dudes, and they're both transfers. So uh, uh, hats off to Florida staff. They put together a team. We talked about this last week. Arkansas took a bunch of transfers. The chemistry didn't, hasn't blended. 
Florida took a bunch of transfers. The chemistry has blended. So, uh, you know, the portal giveth and it taketh away, but Florida's a good team that's gotten better since they actually took a drubbing at Tennessee. I, I think they, you know, I've often said this, I tell my students this, you learn more from your mistakes and, and your failures than you do your successes. And I think that that game tape at Tennessee gave the Florida staff something to show. And I'm gonna they have played great since. I'm going to see those guys twice here in just the next couple of weeks because uh, Vanderbilt plays at Florida on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, I'll get a, a first-hand look at those guys. Kentucky had maybe the best road win of the season in the country on Saturday, 70-59 at Auburn. But then they followed it up with an upset loss on Wednesday at LSU, 75-74. An amazing finish in that game. Kentucky was up double figures in the second half, and LSU rallied. Uh, they came back from 15 down just about like they did at South Carolina on Saturday. But Rob Dillingham hit a baseline jumper for the lead with just a few seconds left. Jordan Wright drove in. Adutiero blocked his shot, but then Wright saved it to Tyrell Ward right in the paint and he was able to put it in for the last second bucket and that led to pandemonium even angel reese was out on the court when the fans rushed the floor they did a quick review but it was pretty clear it was in time and lsu won by one point so uh that's life in the sec and life on the road that's a pretty tough little set of back-to-back games you play at auburn on saturday and then go right back out and play at lsu on wednesday night and kentucky comes up a point short you know i feel fortunate i'm at the stage of my career where i can pick and choose the games i want to go to I can go to some games or I can sit in my easy chair and watch uh, when there's a great night of many games. And I was able to turn it over and catch the end of that Kentucky game. And it, it was great. And Jordan Wright, I mean, you, you know Jordan Wright. Uh-huh. Uh, you've seen him play a bunch and he's a good kid and a smart kid. He got that shot blocked back in his face. He tosses it up there and, and, you know, really was just trying to get it to anybody. And uh, Terrell Ward grabbed it and put it in. And uh, I texted Matt McMahon. He He's a friend. And, and really, this dates me, but he's been reading Blue Ribbon since he was a kid. So I'm, I like old Matt. But I texted him and I said, uh, just the way you drew it up, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes that – you always got to, they always tell you this. It's one of the oldest cliches. Uh, on the last second shot, box out. Watch out for the weak side offensive rebounder. And it wasn't an offensive rebound, really, as so much as it was Jordan Wright having the presence of mind to just toss it up and hope somebody can get it. And boy, they did it. And it, it was great. The, the, the floor, even Angel Reese was out there yeah. uh, getting down and, uh, it, it was great. It's it's God. Uh, I, I I thank God I chose college basketball to to make my living rather than something else. And Jordan Wright has some history of uh, game winners against Kentucky. We saw it last year. He hit the big shot at Rupp Arena and uh, made some big plays oh, yeah. in the SEC tournament uh, when Vanderbilt beat him twice in ten the dude days. Is clutch. Yeah, he sure is. And he's had a really nice year for LSU, playing back in his hometown. He's from around Baton Rouge, so uh, LSU like with, LSU with a huge win, and that was after they uh, beat South Carolina on the road back on Saturday. Mentioned yeah. Auburn. What about the significance of the knee injury to Jalen Williams? Uh, they said not season-ending, but a bad landing after a dunk attempt in the second half of their game with Kentucky. Uh, averaging 13 points and four rebounds, one of their most experienced players and the winningest player in Auburn history. I remember seeing that in the uh, game yeah. notes. Uh, but that's that's a significant piece for Auburn. They're really deep. Uh, that's one good thing for Bruce Pearl. You can have an injury to one of your nine or ten regular guys that you play all the time and plug someone else in. But Jalen Williams, that's a pretty big experience 
experienced piece of the puzzle for Bruce Pearl's team. That's that's a tough one. Um, he's their glue guy, no question about it. And uh, you know, I, people can say what they want about glue guys, but they may not be the best scores or, or rebounders or passers on their team, but they're the the people that keep a team together. And I think Jalen Williams was that for Auburn. It isn't a season ender, as you said, but they do have consecutive road games at Georgia, which is battling to, to try to stay relevant for the NCAA committee and at Tennessee. So uh, I don't know if, from the sound of things, whether he's going to be able to play in those two games. I was watching that game as well. And uh, it's one of those where you just know he landed funny and, and you just cringe when you watch it. It's like Sakai Ziegler's ACL last year. I was there and I, and I knew when you just know, and, and uh, luckily it, it was not an ACL and, and he'll be back, but I think he's going to miss a couple of big games, especially the one at Tennessee, which could well be for, you know, uh, part of the championship in, in the, in the SEC. Let's get to our coach's rant portion of our podcast uh, as we record this. We'll begin with uh, Dennis Gates of Missouri after his team yeah. lost 72-67 in a close one against Tennessee. And uh, Tennessee uh, side here, they used their bigs and, and put them both in at the same time, and it worked out well yeah. for Rick Barnes. But Gates said his own team was bleeping terrible at drawing fouls. It, there wasn't a huge discrepancy. It was 23-17 in fouls called. But Gates said, we got to do a better job drawing fouls. I think we suck at it. We're bleeping yeah. terrible. We're terrible at drawing fouls, and we got to do a better job. I've cleaned this up so we can preserve our, our family Indeed. rating. We, we have a clean rating. Yes, yes. we do. But uh, for as you mentioned earlier, for Dennis Gates to uh, to bring it like he did in the post-game press conference uh, was certainly noteworthy. He, he was chill, and, and Noah Carter was sitting next to him. I watched this, uh, uh, not as it happened, but shortly after they released the – um, Tennessee's SID does a great job of, of sending out video. And um, I, Noah Gates just, you know, he just had this glazed look on his face. But but here's the deal. Uh, Missouri had seven fouls, and, uh, which meant uh, Tennessee was in the one-on-one, and Tennessee just had one in the second half. And clearly that's what he was – referring to because everybody in the league knows that Tennessee plays a physical brand of basketball. Rick Barnes doesn't shy away from it. His credo is make them know you're there. Uh, and so there's going to be physical contact. And Dennis, who I said, brilliant dude, graduated from Cal in three years, Mr. Cool. Uh, but but he, that's what was so shocking about it. He threw down that F-bomb, and I had to – I ran the tape back twice. I'm like, did I hear what I think I heard? <laughs> yes, I did. And he followed it up with – he made sure everybody said, now you quote me on that. Like, that's exactly what I said. You know, he wanted that out there. And I texted a, a friend of mine who's an assistant in the SIC, in the SEC, and I, I said, I believe – kind of jokingly, that that was a thinly veiled reference to the officiating. <laughs> my buddy texted me back and said, oh, that was definitely about the officials. <laughs> so uh, he sends a little message there. Uh, you know, a little frustration, too. They're 0-13. That is one of the most 
unbelievable results of this college basketball season that Mizzou, who I thought Dennis Gates did a great job in his rookie season, uh, and I thought had restocked through the portal, uh, but has not won an SEC game. And uh, that's to me, is incredible. And they played some close ones. That game was a close game. Their previous game, the previous the game at Ole Miss was a close one. Uh, actually, listening to that game was driving back from Knoxville the other night. Uh, the game at Vanderbilt was close. So it really puzzles me, too, uh, that that team hasn't won at all in the SEC. After the run that they made last season, as you said, not only in the regular season, but in the postseason as well, uh, you think about what they did in the SEC tournament. They got all the way to Saturday and played Alabama in the semifinals. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it just hasn't all come together for that Missouri team this season. And that, that's a place that loves her basketball and, you know, some proud tradition there. So I'm sure it'll get it turned around. But the uh, the press conference after the Tennessee game was uh, was something. Uh, and then you, had, of my week. <laughs> well, then you had Rick Pitino's rant on his St. John's team, the facilities, their toughness, their lateral movement and all those things. Yeah. And he said on Monday that he stands by his criticism. That was after St. John's blew a 19-point first-half lead and lost to Seton Hall at home 68-62. He says he truly wasn't ripping anybody. In a quote to Newsday, <laughs> and uh, that was after questioning to this team's toughness, saying they're so non-athletic that we can't guard anybody without fouling said what his intentions was for his players to hear and read his words. Well, I think everybody heard and read his words. They did. And, and here's the thing. I mean, everybody, some people are defending him and think maybe he's the greatest coach in history. I would, I would argue that point. Uh, but a couple of points I, I have. First of all, he says it's the most unenjoyable experience of his lifetime. This, um, but, but I would contend, I would say, so that's more unenjoyable than having an NCAA title vacated. All right. One. Two, he was pointing out what his players did wrong. But it's not like you can fix not boxing out or not guarding. If you are not laterally quick, you are not laterally quick. That's what the good Lord gave you. I mean, sometimes strength and conditioning coaches can add a little quickness and athleticism to a player, but he's got what he's got. And, oh, by the way, he recruited all those dudes. So to me, to, to just undress a dude, uh, everybody, everybody on his team, I just don't get that. I, I just don't see how that helps. You know, I, I know he was frustrated, but I just don't see how that helps. <laughs> My lateral quickness uh, kept me from doing a whole lot of things, especially when it came to playing basketball. Uh, me as well. <laughs> I, I couldn't guard a, a, a room with, a, as Sonny Smith used to say, with a Tommy gun. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I just don't see how, you know, you, you just rip guys for, for their physical inabilities. Dude, bro, you recruited those guys, you know? I mean, I, I could have told you about Chris Ledlam. He was with Tennessee. I saw him practice in the summer. And then when uh, Josiah Jordan-James came back, he decided he wasn't going to play, probably correctly so, and headed for St. John's. He's from New York anyway. He's not a laterally quick dude, but he's a decent player. But, yeah, to just, I don't know, just carve up dudes. I just, I don't know. I I think that's too old school. I I don't think kids, and I, I say this as a college professor too, I don't think you get anywhere just destroying kids. I, I, I'm there to help them succeed, not fail. And to do that, you've got to pump them up. 
not just crush them uh, under your heel. And this was a <laughs> this was a lashing, man. I just couldn't believe it. And, and it's I was one shocked. and it's one thing to do it in private or in the practice gym or in, in a meeting room or something like that. It's another to do it at a press conference and and then double down on. Yeah, you know he had the he had the chance. Uh, you know, I think he was speaking with. Uh, Long Island's Newsday, and, and he just doubles down on it. And uh, I'm sorry, pal. And he he knows this better than me. He's forgotten more basketball than I'll ever know. But if 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 a dude ain't laterally quick, uh, good luck putting that on him, especially this late in the season. Yeah, <laughs> he's not going to all of a sudden, uh, you know, because you're mad at him and you call him out. He's not going to become laterally quick. That's just the way it is. You're going to have to maybe play zone. I don't know. Figure <laughs> it out. You, you're the, you know, the. Some people think the best coach ever. Uh, the guy that wrote the book "Born to Coach," which even uh, friendly old Wizard of Westwood John Wooden remarked in a veiled reference to him. He says, "You got young coaches now writing born to coach before they've even done anything." <laughs> so, uh, now I, I will say this. Patino put a team together at Kentucky that should have, and he split before the third one, that could have won three in a row. Yeah, they they sure did. I'm not criticizing his coaching. I'm just criticizing ripping these kids when they're already down about something that they can't fix right now anyway, if ever. And – yeah, you look back to that time when he was at Kentucky. The, the 96 team is one of the greatest of all time, and they came up an overtime short of beating Arizona in the championship game in 97. Who, who was the key player uh, that was, was in? Derek Anderson uh, got Derek hurt in the season. He blew out his they knee. Win, mm-hmm. They win three in a row if Derek Anderson doesn't get hurt. Yep. And uh, – uh, and so I'm not questioning his coaching and, ability. And, and, at, and at Louisville, of course, I mean, he won a championship there, had multiple Final Fours. I mean, he had a great run there yeah. before, you know, the scandal and all those things hit. He's but, a great but coach. He, he's but, one of the all-time but, great coaches. There's no question, but this wasn't one of his uh, greatest moments. Maybe he could use moments. a PR dude, you know, <laughs> just kind of filter his words before yeah. they come out. Right. He's uh, frustrated. I get yeah, it. Yeah, sure. You, yeah, you certainly understand that part of it, but uh, maybe a better way of uh, delivering a message to your players. For, from one Hall of Fame coach to another, uh, the passing of Lefty Drizel. Uh, he coached other places at Davidson and James Madison and finished up at Georgia State, where I actually uh, did a couple games that he was coach coaching uh, when he played for or was at Georgia State, and uh, Belmont was in the same league as them. But most notable for his time at Maryland from 1969 through 1986. Coached some great players, had some excellent teams, and uh, one of the best coaches of his era, and, and a guy who's a character as well. And it was neat to see him get his due a few years ago when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, which seemed like a few years too late, but I guess better late than never. Yeah, it was 86 before they finally put him in, which I thought was highway robbery. But he goes up there with a walker, uh, and, and he was introduced by, by his great friends, Coach K, John Thompson Jr., and George Raveling. And for 14 minutes off the top of his head with nary a note, just killed that room. He was funny as all get out. Uh, The thing I remember most about him, I was a a young kid, but I remember watching the 1974 ACC uh, tournament championship game, won by NC State, 103 to 100 in OT. NC State went on to uh, uh, beat Bill Walton and the seven-time defending UCLA Bruins that year in the semifinals uh, of the national championship tournament. And 
Uh, I remember that game, though. Some people say it was the best in the country. And then here's another one for you, which you'll appreciate, because you called games in the old Georgia State gym, right? Uh huh. So I remember as soon as I heard Lefty had passed, I remember that one of my Blue Ribbon writers wrote this uh, in the Campbell University preview. And I looked it up and I, I, I looked up, uh, Google Lefty's first year at Georgia uh, State. And so I, I have all 43 editions of Blue Ribbon on a sagging shelf over in my office. And it was 97, 98 and Campbell head coach, uh, Here's the lead. Campbell head coach Billy Lee has a word of warning for Lefty Drizel as he gets ready to embark on his initial season in the Transamerica Athletic Conference. Quote, Lefty had better not come into our gym and start stomping, Lee said, because if he does, he'll probably go right through the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the old Carter gym at Campbell. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even regulation size, was it? No, it was like a high school length court. That's one of the all-time oh, best places I've ever been. The uh, the capacity yeah, there was... you see Lefty stomping on oh, the floor. Oh, no question. <laughs> you know, the capacity was like 947 or something like that, and, and about you know, yeah. 100 of them were pep band. But yeah, I, I can totally see that happening. Oh, it, it was awesome. Uh, the rafters were so low that I saw a player make a half court heave from the other end of the court you know how you just throw it at the goal when time's running out and it hit the rafters uh, i remember you telling me that and then you look at the That's... rims and like one of the rims is like bright orange and, and looks really nice the one that campbell shot at at the second half the rim on the other end looked like it came out of somebody's driveway and like it was all worn off and it was just great a classic and place. Lefty, you, you just kind of <laughs> felt for him because here's a guy who played in some of the biggest games in history and now he's going to Campbell's gym, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they have you a know, new... he just wanted to keep coaching. Yeah, they have a new place since um, then. And Georgia State's gym w- was entertaining too. They they built a new place just a couple years ago. Oh, it was on the third floor. Yeah, it was the third floor First gym. Covered a game there. I couldn't believe. Yeah, it. it's crazy. It's right there in downtown Atlanta, and uh, yeah. yeah, I've been there several times as well. But just wanted to note the passing of Lefty Drizel, who again yeah. coached some great players and oh, great I teams, just... especially at Maryland during his time there. Uh, speaking of great players and uh, some controversy involving not really of her doing, but Caitlin Clark, she broke the women's basketball scoring record the other day. She's had those who have declared her the greatest ever. She's had some detractors. She's had Jay Williams, uh, who, of course, uh, is one of the top analysts for ESPN on TV, but not ready to declare her the greatest women's basketball player because she hasn't won a championship yet. And I know he's drawn a lot of controversy, but I sort of get what he's saying. I mean, he's not discounting her as a great player. In fact, I mean, he gave her all the props, being a great player and scorer and passer and all those things. But just that she's not, she shouldn't be considered the greatest just yet because she hasn't won championships. And uh, and I got to thinking about that. I was like, okay, can you really say that she's better than some of the great players at UConn or you know, Cheryl Miller or Cheryl Swoops or uh, Candace Parker or you know some of the players from that era? And I'm like, you know, I, I get what he's saying. What was your take on that? Well, in a way, I get what he's saying. I've got a few takes on it. You know, he called the LSU-Kentucky game with Dave Pash last night, and Dave Pash brought it up, put him on the spot, and and they showed a a little clip of him playing, uh, I think it was pig, not horse, with Angel Reese. And, uh, you know, a bunch of clowns on, on social media who can hide behind their keyboards are calling him a racist. I don't think... Jay Williams is a racist. There's no way. Uh, 
So are you talking about greatness? What makes a player great? Is it great stats? Is it a great championship? Uh, if it's championships, does that mean every player on the six teams that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen led to NBA titles are great? No, it doesn't. Of course not. Does that mean yeah. that Larry Bird and Pete Maravich, who weren't great, or didn't win titles, weren't great? No, it doesn't. So I think you can still be great and not having won a championship. Here's what I think he, if he could roll back the tape and say it again, here's what I think he would say. To me, this issue is not being whether you're great or not. It's about being the GOAT, all right? And if you rack up individual accomplishments and championships, then you're entered into the GOAT sweepstakes. And you can battle that all you want. I say it's Michael Jordan. Some people say it's LeBron, you know, uh, but but that's what I think he if he if he could roll it back, uh, he he taped himself after the game and put it on Twitter and and really added even more fuel to the fire. Uh, he, he just needs to kind of let it calm down. But to me, it, it, it goes down to Caitlin Clark is great. Uh, there's no question she sparked renewed interest in the women's college game. No ill will intended, but I would not watch a Big Ten women's college game on a Sunday if Caitlin Clark were not involved. It's just the same reason I wouldn't watch a rank-and-file uh, PGA Tour event if Tiger Woods were not entered. Yeah. All right? You, you want to see greatness. So, to me, it's not about whether uh, a great player never won one. It's about being the freaking goat and, and and having the stats and the titles, and then duke it out, all you armchair experts. Uh, I say it's MJ. I'll go to my grave saying it's MJ, unless somebody else wins seven. You know, and 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 that's my take. I've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar over here on line one. If we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Kareem. I know you've been having some health issues. I, I didn't mean to upset you, sir. I always think he uh, maybe gets discounted a little bit in the uh, conversation about the, the GOAT in, in NBA history, but maybe that's for another well, show. Well, and, and you know, he won three, three NCAA titles, too. Yeah, he was a, uh, an unstoppable some, force. Some say he, he could have been the best schoolboy player in, in, in history uh, in, in, in New York. So... It's, it's a tough call, and it can be debated. But what cannot be debated is Larry Bird, Pete Maravich, and Caitlin Clark are great. You know, they, they advanced their game, their game, and they had great stats doing it. Sure. You know, you, you could say that, uh, you know, Larry Bird had to do everything he did. No, he was great. You could say Pete played for his – Father Press, who let him shoot 55 times a game. No, he still had to make the shots. And you could say Caitlin Clark uh, hasn't and probably won't win a national championship. No. I saw a graphic uh, that showed uh, every shot she made. It was so cool how they did it from spots on the floor. Right. Uh, every point she scored. And, and it only takes about a minute to watch it. She's great. Uh, and and the other thing is she sees things before they happen. She's a great passer. She's an extraordinarily gifted player. 
So I think Jay probably wishes, even though he's doubled and tripled down on it, he maybe he'd have gone somewhere else with that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and he's he's no racist. Uh, you know, there there are a lot of people think that he's stuck on himself and stuff, and and you know I, I can see people thinking that, but but he's not a racist, and I don't think he meant to demean Caitlin Clark. But to me, it, it, the, the whole issue is about being the daggone goat. Yeah, which is hard to do, and that's always a subjective thing, no matter because you have sort of a generational part of it too. You do, according you do. to who you who you watch play during the more influential part of your life, and so it, the, the, a lot of is a lot Nicholas of or Tiger. Yeah, I know, and, and you can make a Tiger case for either has one. More great players to contend with mm-hmm. than Nicholas did, but but Nicholas came up in an era where the the guys that were good were dang good. Uh, so, uh, I, I still think it'll, in golf, it'll always be Nicholas because in addition to his 18 majors, he had 21 second place finishes mm-hmm. in majors. Nobody's going to deal with that. Right. Nobody. Hey. He's the best. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's kind of cool, but, but when it gets into people starting to call you a racist and stuff, Jay Williams is not a racist. And, and Dave Pash didn't mean anything by bringing it up. Dave Pash had tremendous courage uh, to bring it up during a telecast. And they probably talked about it before the, the they, game. Perhaps and, they did. Uh, but and, and Jay held his cool, you know. But Pash, I think, is one of the best. Oh, he's uh, outstanding. Right and, up there with you, man. And, and oh, thanks. And you know, and if <laughs> you know, if, if he can be the, the straight man for Bill Walton's act, then uh, he, oh, he can do just yeah. about anything. He's honed his <laughs> skills for that. <laughs> he's the best ever with Bill Walton. There's no question. All no. right, let's get to a couple other topics here uh, under the category of I don't know if "Love in an Elevator" is the right headline, but uh, I was thinking about the Aerosmith <laughs> song. Uh, Fairly Dickens was playing at LIU Brooklyn the other day and the game started 15 minutes late because the FDU team was struck, stuck in an elevator heading down to the court at the Steinberg Wellness Center. Guard Tyler Jamison was talking about the whole situation, said they had to play the quiet game for a time, said it was funny seeing everyone's reactions. It was really hot in there, he said, with condensation on the walls. He said some guys were joking around and some guys were a little nervous. Uh, the New York Fire Department came to the rescue. FDNY got him out of there. FDU ended up winning the game 84-82 in overtime but uh, my, my first question was like why are they taking an elevator to the court but uh, may, maybe that's uh, I haven't been to that building to know the lay of the land but I, I thought that whole thing was kind of entertaining it's crazy have you ever been stuck in one it, it, it's, um, it's scary I was stuck in one for a minute or two it, it's weird but it's almost like the basketball gods are saying okay you all boys uh, uh, you beat you knocked out the, the top seed last year we going to mess with <laughs> And a lot of those kids have, have moved on. You know, they're at other places. Uh, uh, one of them's at Ole Miss. But but it, it's like, yeah, we're going to mess with you. But but that's – I thought that was an odd story. But, you know, it, it all's well that ends well. They, they got out and, and they won the game. I've not been stuck in an elevator. My mom got stuck in the elevator at church a few months ago, and they had to get the fire department out there to, to get her out of the elevator. But uh, wow. I, I've never heard of this happening to a basketball team on the way to the court to play a game. 
what about our guy Wes Durham? A cool interview for the ACC Network with Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, they're doing a, a lunchtime virtual Zoom visit with those two coaching legends for an upcoming special they're doing. But uh, we, we know Wes. We've had him on our show. Terrific play-by-play guy. Been around a long time. And, and really, you know, you think about the ACC. You think about Wes and his dad, Woody Durham, the, the legendary North Carolina announcer. But I'm looking forward to seeing that. That looks like that's going to be really cool. Definitely want to give that a plug. Wes is, is an old friend. I knew him when he was the play-by-play at Marshall. Then, he, of course, he was at Vandy and Georgia Tech. And now he's working for the ACC Network, which this interview is going to be on February 28th. Uh, I shot him a, ch- a text just to see w- what he thought about interviewing those two. And he said it was just incredible to see those two coaching icons exchange stories about their path to success, their inspiration, their lasting lessons and influences on the program they impacted over their careers. The opportunity to sit with Coach Can, Coach Williams, was a unique professional thrill for me. And here's a guy who's called all kinds of games in the NFL, in college uh, sports. uh, And to be able to sit down with those two, uh, uh, Wes, uh, I know you listen to our podcast. I envy you, brother. And Wes, it's fantastic that you're doing this interview, (laughs) talking about basketball. (laughs) one other bit of good news as we wrap up our show here and that is that the maui invitational is headed back to the lahaina civic center for this year's edition it's always thanksgiving week Uh, they had those horrible fires that just devastated the entire town of lahaina Uh, it was just uh, surreal scenes that happened a few months ago and they moved the tournament this year over to honolulu to the university of hawaii and played it there but they're going to be back in the familiar surroundings, that little gym. It just always looks so sweaty and hot in there and all those fans. Yeah. And it's, it's just one of the great events uh, of that time of year and Thanksgiving week and all those uh, preseason tournaments that they have. And uh, glad to see that the Maui Invitational is going back home. And uh, you wish all the best to everybody in those places and uh, hope that at some point they can get some of it rebuilt. One of the cool things I've seen is that big, the big banyan tree that they were worried about that got burned. Uh, it looks like it's growing back. You know, it's coming back to it's life. Regenerating. Yeah, regenerating. Yeah. So uh, maybe that's a, a good sign for the rest of the town as, as they try to rebuild there. Uh, man, that just you to cover that or the Diamond Head Classic. Uh, Diamond Head was where we played uh, two seasons ago, uh, and that was also at the same gym there at the University of Hawaii. Boy, you talk about great events. There's nothing better than going to Hawaii for a basketball tournament, man. I I highly recommend it. (laughs) I never had the pleasure. I am glad to see, oddly enough, the fire, as bad as it was, it did not touch the Civic Center. And what a great time for it to be back. Check this field out for the 24 Maui. UConn, North Carolina, Iowa State, Auburn, Dayton, Colorado, Memphis, and Michigan State. Uh, that'll get it done. Oh, man. Uh, it's, uh, it was killer this year. Uh, it may be even better next year. So glad to see it. I, I, I hope the folks out there can recover quickly. There's such a moving, I don't know if it's a documentary, but I saw a moving piece on the high school football team. That yeah. They all decided to... They were going to play, and they just sort of they they pulled that 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 town and and all the folks up by their bootstraps, and 
And it's it's a really moving piece. And they had some of those folks at the Super Bowl for the coin toss. They brought the some of the I, players I and that. coaches came out, and uh, when they did the coin toss, they were out on the field at the that Super Bowl in great. Las Vegas. It was really cool. And yeah, you talk about the building that Lahaina Civic Center. They were using it for staging for some of the emergency things that were going oh, on, yeah. and that was that was part of the reason and that they didn't play the tournament this year there, and also just the, the resources it would have taken that would have taken away from from some of the other places where they were really needed. They didn't want to do that, but. He, yeah, it's, it's a little bit out of where the main part of town is. Like, it's kind of, I think, sort of to the, the north and west of there. So, uh, yeah, it'll be back at its home. And I hope I can get out there and go to that sometime. Because if you ask me bucket list places for college basketball I'd like to go, that would be on my list for sure. There's uh, there's no question. Uh, uh, before we go, uh, it, it was a pleasure to uh, visit you and, and uh, our mutual friend, uh, Tim at your broadcast location the other day, and I was able to see your unique way of, of putting your lineup cards out. And uh, Tim is just the best. We had, you had gone to get some some water or something, and Tim and I talked for 10 minutes. He, he, he knows a bunch of people. Oh, he's a wonderful guy. Tim Thompson, I've done the games with him for a few years, and I've known him for probably 20 years. His daughter played basketball at Belmont. I got to know him a little bit through that and just through his time doing the Vanderbilt broadcast. He's been on there for two decades, and uh, he's so much fun to travel with and be around and do games with, and we we have text exchanges that go on all day long. And uh, (laughs) He's just an interesting dude. He worked for many years uh, with Nike. He retired from there a few years ago. Wasn't he with Converse? Yeah, he was with Converse for a long time and then for about the last 20 years or so of his career he was with nike and uh, he has lots of great stories about the people he met and worked with through those things and i mean it's a who's who of people and one of the neat things about tim is the stories that he tells about the time he went to the 1979 final four in salt lake city he was just out of school he was trying to get into coaching and someone told him like look if you want to get into coaching the place you need to go is the final four so he goes to Salt Lake City and he like slept on somebody's hotel floor uh, for the weekend, and he ends up seeing this you know epic championship game on the Monday night with the the Magic Johnson Michigan State team and the Larry Bird Indiana State team. He said he sat on the very top row at the Huntsman Center in Salt Lake City and watched that game. But I, I just love working with Tim, love him and his wife Michelle. They're just awesome and great people. And uh, his son just graduated from the Coast Guard Academy and is going to his wow. first assignment out in Washington. So uh, yeah. Tim's a lot of fun and man it was great seeing you and, and spending some time we got to sit down and have a slice of pizza for a few minutes before the game and you know I see you all the time on these zoom calls and I'll see you maybe once or twice a year but uh, it, it was great to visit the other day in Knoxville yeah you know I, I had seen you and, and been with you when you were at Belmont but this was the first time I ever saw you behind the mic of an SEC game and I I gotta say once again uh, congrats for, for getting that job uh, I tell everybody when you be- become the radio voice of an SEC school, you become a legend. So uh, in years to come, young kids are going to say, "Yeah, man, I grew up listening uh, to that daggone Kevin Ingram. <laughs> he was fast." So uh, I was glad I finally got to see you at your at your Vandy position. Uh, di- I did get my SEC credentials yesterday. All right. And so I will see you there, and and I hope you're behind the mic for some radio broadcasts of of non-Vanderbilt games as well. Yeah, I'm hoping to 
obviously I'll do as many games as Vanderbilt plays in that event. Uh, it's coming up in a few weeks here in Nashville at Bridgestone Arena. It's always one of my favorite things. I love the SEC tournament. I've been many times. And uh, finally, over the last couple of years, I've had a chance to do some games in it. I, I called five games in the tournament last year, and that was really special to to sit there on, on that front row. I I mean, I went to the SEC tournament at the old Georgia Dome, and I remember sitting up in the upper deck and looking down at press row and thinking, man, I want to sit down there one day. And uh, <laughs> it, it really got me, you know, the – the first year that I did the games for Vanderbilt was the, the kind of weird COVID year. We were way up at the top. And then the next year we were in Tampa. But last year we were at the familiar sideline court side seats at Bridgestone Arena. And I sat down there and I thought, man, this is this is it, dude. Uh, I, I, you know, I've been to the NCAA tournament several times at Belmont. Uh, I think we did nine games there. But uh, I always love the SEC tournament and to have that chance is really, really neat. And I'm looking forward to that, too, and uh, looking forward to having you here in town. And we'll, we'll go get some tacos and have a good time and, and plan oh. for our upcoming trip out to Arizona. We're looking forward to that, I'm too. I'm looking forward to it, brother. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. He's Chris. I'm Kevin. We'll talk to you next time.